Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. If you have your Bibles, I, I really feel like the Lord spoke to me this morning. This is a life message for me that I want to share with you. Next to my kids receiving Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I would want them to know this one revelation. I think it can save them and us. Um, a lot of setbacks, a lot of kind of detours in our faith, uh, if we can learn this one lesson. And it's how to deal with sorrow, how to deal with setback, how to deal with uh, the curveballs that life throws us. Um, and, and how that affects your heart. Um, Lyle was talking about the light of his glory. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, uh, He who spoke light into darkness spoke, uh, spoke the light of his glory into your heart. He shone the light of his glory into your heart, and he put the face of his Son inside of you. So if you're born again... There's a place in your makeup, in your divine wiring, that the Lord said, I want to make my home there. I want to put the face of, the Father said, I want to put the face of my son right there. And it's your heart. Proverbs 4 says, um, guard your heart above all else, for from it flow what? The issues of life. It's the wellspring of life. So your filter that you view life through is your heart or your heart spring. And so I believe one of the things the Lord purchased at Calvary was for every born again believer to have a whole heart. And one of the things we can bring and present ourselves to the Lord is, Lord, I know life's trials have been hard. I've been in fires. I've faced setbacks. But Lord, I am presenting to you a whole heart because of who lives inside of my heart and this is the redemptive work that he's done and so um, one of the most common commands next to do not fear is do not lose heart don't lose heart Uh, he says it in Galatians 6 9 he says don't grow uh, weary don't lose heart don't grow weary in uh, sowing in righteousness for at the proper time you'll reap a harvest so sowing, sowing um, and processing what we sow, waiting on the Lord affects our hearts. Um, let's see, 2 Corinthians 4.16, it says these, uh, well, let's flip over there real quick. You guys good? Yes. All right. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, these are scriptures you're really familiar with. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 4. 16, therefore we do not lose heart, but though outwardly our man is decaying, yet inwardly our uh, inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So we don't lose heart, uh, though we're facing light and momentary afflictions. Uh, Proverbs thirteen twelve says this, it says, hope deferred makes the heart what? sick. So you put your expectation in something, you have an outcome in mind, 
but life happens and things don't turn out the way you thought they would. And it says that, that missed expectation or, 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 or hope that's been set off, it can make your heart sick. And if your heart's sick, your life's sick. Because we read earlier that, that your heart's the wellspring of life. And I think what's challenging sometimes is, is when I hurt my leg, I can isolate the pain to my left leg, lower half, it's my calf. Like, my leg is hurting. But when it's our heart, oftentimes it's hard to diagnose the pain of our heart. The pain that life has brought to our heart. And so what we end up having is, I call it wonky fruit. Like, there's wonky relationships. There's wonky sin patterns. There's, there's addictions. There's things that we fall into that are producing weird fruit. And so we attempt to address the fruit, yet we really have a heart issue. And typically the heart issue is something that we went through that we didn't rightfully process. And we're looking at the fruit and we're trying to deal with the fruit. But the root of the fruit is actually a season that we didn't process well in the Lord. And that season made my heart sick. And so our, our ability to process those seasons before the wonkiness or when the wonkiness comes, we can look back and go, wow, I still need to process that fire, that trial, that relationship, that moment. And, and so Jesus, I believe this was Jesus's final uh, revelation to his disciples. Um, when we started the upper room, I, I didn't plan on calling our church the upper room. It was a self-described name that the owner of this business who invited us to start a prayer meeting, he called it the upper room. And so um, in the early days, I had a lot of time on my hands. And so I just plowed through the upper room discourse. It's John 14, 15, 16, 17. It's Jesus' final words to his disciples. And I found this, this thread throughout his conversation with his disciples. He says a lot. There's a lot of like theological core things that we need to get. It's the introduction of the Holy Ghost. Um, he talks about a second coming. He talks about, you know, there's a high priestly prayer. There's a ton of stuff in the upper room discourse, but there was something specific to the 12 and specific to the process that they were going to go through and how would it affect their hearts. And it's this like, it's this thread of revelation that it's like the gift that keeps on giving to me. You know, like Clark Griswold, you know, he receives it from crazy Uncle Eddie. He says, Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving. This is the gift that keeps on giving spiritually. And it's Jesus' last words. And it's a pearl to me. And so, I, I don't know how many cups of coffee you've had, but... I, I really pray that you can give me your heart for the next 20 minutes. Because I think if you can lay hold of this revelation, man, it will do you such good in the days ahead. Because there are shakings coming. And as a pastor, I get to walk into a lot of people's day of trouble. Trouble comes in a 24-hour period. The day of trouble is a, like David talks a lot about the day of trouble. The upper room discourse starts out with this word, trouble. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And life will throw trouble at you. And your ability to establish your heart today for that day 
will help you get through the day of trouble. And as a pastor, I oftentimes can see immediately when I walk into scenarios, how has this person built their life? How have they established their heart? And I believe this revelation can help you. This revelation can uh, be a weapon for you in the days ahead. Because, man, shakings are happening. If 2020 revealed anything, it's that we need to watch, pray, and get ready. And so let's walk through it, okay? John 14. John 14, Upper Room Discourse. If you have a red letter Bible, it's all red. Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet in John 13. And the Upper Room Discourse starts in 14. And he says this. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. So we've talked about not losing heart, heart wellspring of life. This is where Jesus has chosen to live. And he starts out the discourse. It's the umbrella for everything he's going to say. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. This word trouble, it's inward stirring. It's don't let the outward commotion, the outward afflictions determine your inward state. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He's going to start talking. In my father's home, many dwelling places. I'm going to go away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Thomas has a question. He says this, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How do we know the way? (laughs) Jesus is saying, "I'm, I'm leaving you. And Thomas, it's a natural question, like, well, where are you going? And Jesus says the, the famous John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. So Jesus is saying, uh, I'm going to prepare a way for you. But don't let your hearts be troubled when you can't see me. I think this is one of the most common questions trouble throws at us. We go, Lord, where were you? Right? Like when trouble comes, it's like, Lord, where were you? And here's Thomas asking this question in light of what Jesus is saying. And it's a question that's only going to grow in their hearts. We're going to see that. Um, so I'm the way, the truth, and life. If you, uh, Then Philip has another question. Show us the Father to be enough for us. Which I'm not going to go too deep into that one. But it's a, it's a question that trouble poses to our hearts. So Jesus is going to keep talking. Uh, He's going to introduce the Holy Spirit in verse 16. He's going to talk about the spirit of truth. He's going to talk about not being orphaned, but I'm going to come to you. Uh, After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Um, I want you to know that in the discourse, what Jesus is saying, the disciples have no earthly idea what he's talking about. This conversation is going over their head. I'm going to show it to you, but they have no idea what he's saying. But the beautiful news is that the Holy Spirit will come and remind them of these words. Um, if you look in, in John 14, verse 26, he says, The helper is coming, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things, and he will re- bring remembrance to all that I've said to you. And then 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your what? Do not let your hearts be troubled. So two times in the first chapter, he says, don't. Let your hearts be troubled. In this specific place, he says, my peace I'm going to give to you. He's going to keep talking. 
He's going to say, I'm the vine, you're the branches, bear fruit, pruning, um, abide in me as I abide in you. And then um, in verse, end of 15, he's going to turn the heat up a little bit. In, in, in verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Sixteen, chapter sixteen. It's going to get even hotter. Um, they will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you. He thinks he's offering a service of God. Basically, if they hated me, hated you. Now, this this like conversation started here, and Jesus is taking it way over here, and the disciples, the disciples aren't following. The disciples are like. scratching their heads, wondering what he's talking about. And it really begins to show up inside of their hearts in verse 5. It says this, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Now, what did Thomas ask Jesus earlier? He asked this very question, Where are you going to go? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But he keeps talking and something's happening internally because he's what he's what he's telling them. And they stop asking the questions that they were asking earlier. And the the, the reason why is in verse 6. So 16, John 16, verse 6. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your what? Sorrow has filled your heart. So Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. And he's going to start talking. Then he's going to say, peace I give to you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Then he's going to keep talking. And what he's saying is not lining up with their expectation of where he's going to lead them. And because he's saying these things, their hearts are being overcome by a substance. That substance is sorrow. And the questions that they were asking here, they stopped asking here because Jesus is somewhere over there and they were hoping he would go over there. Does this make sense? And their inward thoughts, their inward, the wellspring of their life is being affected. And sorrow is beginning to fill up because we have no idea what you're saying, Jesus. Trouble will, undealt trouble will produce sorrow in your heart. And your heart was never intended to deal with sorrow. Like your heart's incapable of dealing with sorrow without the Lord's help. Um, so from the Upper Room Discourse, I'm, I'm, I'm going to run through and then I'll give some practical tools after I walk through kind of the scriptural lining here. Uh, trouble, trouble. And then because I've said these things, sorrow is filling your heart. Uh, where do they go from the garden? Uh, uh, where do they go from uh, the upper room? They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's about a half mile walk. They walk to the garden, and what do they do in the garden? They have a prayer meeting, and the prayer meeting's in Luke twenty-two. Flip over to Luke twenty-two, and in Luke twenty-two, Jesus is going to go pray, and he asks his disciples to join them, and he says, "Do not." fall into what temptation which is really an interesting like thing like if we were going to go into prayer like me you and lyle 
We're going to go into Lyle's office. We're going to have a prayer meeting. And before we walk into the prayer meeting, Lyle and I look at you and we go, hey, when we're going to go in here, we're going to pray, don't fall into temptation. It'd be a weird thing to say. Like, you know, do you think I have a flask on me? <laughs> you think I'm going to look at things on my phone I shouldn't? Like, what, what, what temptation in the place of prayer were these guys going to fall into? Because temptation... Temptation, if you fall into temptation, you fall into what? Sin. Temptation is the doorstep to the house of sin. The way to sin is death. And so, again, it's like, hey, don't fall into temptation when you go into the place of prayer. Well, well, the disciples are going to fall into temptation. And I want to show you where that takes place in this verse. Luke 22. Verse 39, came to the Mount of Olives, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray. As he's praying, he's praying, your father, uh, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel appears, strengthening him from the Lord. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Look at verse 45. When he arose from this intense prayer meeting, he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Now, I always thought they fell asleep because it was late in the night and they were tired. But the Bible gives us a detail that's very important about why they fell asleep. It says this. When he arose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping from what? Why were they sleeping? Why were they sleeping? Just really quickly. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. But because I'm saying these things to you, sorrow is filling up inside of your hearts. They go to the place of prayer. Jesus says, don't give in to temptation. What's the temptation? The temptation is to give themselves over to the sorrow, which actually leads to a spiritual sleep. And what I've seen is that trouble in believers' hearts has produced a sorrow. Although they're awake in the natural, they're asleep spiritually. And their hearts have shut down because life has thrown them curveballs. Things haven't turned out the way that they thought they would. And externally, everything looks okay. Yet internally, they've insulated and they are asleep. It's actually... It's actually the root cause of unbelief, which is the ultimate sin. And I feel this morning there's, there's a, an alarm clock in the spirit, and the Lord's going to wake up hearts. And it, it usually comes from a day of trouble. Um, like for me, one of the days of trouble was, was, was when I was, uh, we don't really know each other that well, (laughs) but we're about to, I think sexual brokenness is an epidemic right now, specifically with young people. They're introduced to things in their teenage formative years, a day of trouble comes, um, and, and they don't know how to process the guilt and shame from that day. And so one day turns into two, turns into three, turns into a week, a month. You got months and years of living with sexual brokenness because of a day. 
because of an orientation, because of something that happened. And for me, it was when I was 12, 13, I was introduced to my sexuality by a friend, and I didn't know what to do with that experience. And so a decade from that day, I had so much sorrow from the day of trouble and grief that I didn't know how to process what was happening internally. I'd come to uh, you know, the place of prayer, I'd come to church, and I just had this veil over my heart because of the brokenness and the pain. And I didn't know how to let people into that place. And I, we all have days of trouble from our youth, but if we don't process those days correctly, we end up insulated and we have wonky fruit in our life. And yet, again, when you're born again, he says, let there be light. And he speaks light into the most intimate place of our heart where that trouble affected him. And his redemptive work, it it frees you to live wholeheartedly before him. And with his disciples, he gave them a promise in the early, uh, in that upper room discourse. He gave them a promise for their heart. And so we see the process they've been through. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. I've said these things. Sorrow's filling your heart. They go to the garden. Don't fall into temptation. They fall into temptation. They fall asleep because of the sorrow that was in their heart. But I want to show you when they got whole. Is that cool? So flip back to John 16. Again, this is something you can study out on your own. Shorababababababab. All right, John 16, verse 19, in the Upper Room Discourse, the number of nuggets in the Upper Room Discourse that will help your heart, specifically the helper himself, Holy Ghost. Uh, John 16, 19, Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he said to them, oh, this is actually a pretty wild process. Look at verse 16, 16, I'll walk you through this. A little while longer you will see me, and again, a little while you will see me. So you won't see me, but then you will see me. So some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this thing he is telling us a little while? You will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me because I go to the father. This is oftentimes indicators of our heart. We start asking Jesus questions we don't understand. Jesus keeps talking. We stop asking him questions as we process. Then all we talk to are disciples. We stop talking to him. We want to process with everyone else but the Lord. That's what his disciples are doing. This is the process their hearts are going through. So Jesus knew that they wished to question him. So they wished to bring this question to him, but they didn't want to do it because Jesus is somewhere that they don't know where he is. So these guys are just perplexed. Are you with me? And so Jesus knew that they wished to question him. He said to them, are you deliberating together about this? I said, a little while you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve. And that same word is sorrow. You will have sorrow, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she is no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now or sorrow now. But I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. No one will take your joy away from you. 
So this is a promise that the grief and sorrow they're experiencing will be turned to what? Joy. Or that, that it specifically says in 22 that their heart will what? Rejoice. So can I show you the exact moment this happened? Flip over to John 20. Gosh, this is such a cool revelation. Sorrow, sorrow, grief, temptation, sin, sleep. But Jesus gives them this promise in John 20, John 16, that you'll see me again. And when you see me, your heart will rejoice. So uh, Jesus is taken from the Garden of Gethsemane. He's tried, beaten. He's murdered. He's put in a tomb. He's in that tomb for three days. On the third day, he arises. And Mary sees him. And Mary comes back to the disciples announcing the gospels preached in five words. I have seen the Lord. It's the first time the gospel's ever preached. It's preached by a woman. And it's preached in five words. I have seen the Lord. <laughs> this is John twenty eighteen. So verse 19, after he says, I've seen the Lord. Verse 19, he says, so it was evening that day, the first day of the week. The doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. If you think through the upper room discourse, he's saying, if they killed me, they're going to kill you. They're living a life of fear now because of what their hearts have been through. Even though they've heard the gospel, even though they've said, I've seen the Lord, they haven't seen him yet. Mary had seen him. But Jesus said, when you see me. So they're in a room, they're shut up, they're fearful, they're scared. And look what happens. Jesus walks through the walls. He stood in their midst and he said, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his sides. Then the disciples what? It says they were glad. Mine says they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. They rejoiced when they saw their Lord. So their hearts were restored in this moment when they got a glimpse of the resurrected one. All that their hearts had been through restored John 20, 20. Because they saw that he had overcome death in the grave for them. And Jesus ministers to that broken place inside of them where they fell asleep now inside their awakening. I want to share a dream that comes with this revelation. Um, the dream was this. Uh, <clears throat> I, I grew up Church of Christ, and um, Church of Christ fairly conservative. Uh, and I worked for a flagship Church of Christ in the mid-aughts. And um, I loved, when I met the Holy Spirit, I loved a specific dimension of the Holy Spirit, and is that he's a healer. Um, and I would pray for anyone that was sick. And I, I, I had a fairly decent batting average praying for the sick. I was like maybe 200%, or two, batting 200, like two out of 10 got healed. And that was kind of more than anyone else in our community because not a lot of people were praying for the sick. So anytime someone got sick at our community, they came and asked for prayer. I just loved praying for the sick, still do. Um, I got a phone call one, uh, one morning, and the phone call was from a, a 
a lady whose son had had a dream. And in the dream, they called the Churches of Christ and there was a pastor that came to their home to pray for this young boy and he was healed. And so on the other line, I'm like, I'm like, well, uh, I'm so thankful that you called. Was, was this the first church you called? And they said, no, the first church of Christ we called, they said, we don't have a ministry like this. But they said to call your church because your church was a little more progressive. And so the phone call came in and, and the secretary knew it was for Michael Miller. Need to send it to Michael Miller. This is a call for Michael Miller. And on the other end of the line was a woman whose 18-year-old son had been diagnosed with cancer. And uh, he, he, he went to a pretty prominent high school, uh, graduated his senior year, was sent to the University of Texas. Um, and because the cancer had left his senior year, but he came back uh, after his first semester. So this is spring of like 06. And, uh, and this mother's on the other end of the line. She says, will you come pray for my son? And I said, yes, I will totally come pray for your son. So I, along with some friends, we go and meet Willie. Willie is the coolest 19-year-old kid. Uh, you tell cancer's ravishing his body, but he's full of life. He made us feel welcomed at home. I develop a relationship with Willie. I explain to him about healing. We start taking communion. And, man, we are, we're going after this thing. And um, long, long story short, like Willie becomes a friend. Willie's body starts to respond to our prayers. Uh, the doctors are even talking about him going in the fall back to the University of Texas. Like, we are seeing progression. It's not instantaneous, but, man, it's enough to increase our faith. His family is, uh, some of them didn't know the Lord. They come to the Lord. Like, this beautiful thing starts happening around Willie. The community starts praying. It's like opening people's lens to the power of prayer and healing. As uh, it starts progressing, um, just to make a, a long story a little shorter, um, Willie takes a turn, uh, not for the better. And, uh, and by the summer, um, the doctors are actually calling in hospice. It's just getting worse. And I'm, I'm still believing. Like, out of all the pastors that could have been assigned to this, it's me and this journey that I've been on with healing God. You, you, you called me, like, via a dream to pray for this young man, Willie. Well... Um, Willie, Willie doesn't make it. Willie ends up dying. And, uh, and I am heartbroken. I, I, am, I am in total disbelief and I'm actually offended and mad at God. I'm like, of all the pastors you could have found, you, you threw a dream, Church of Christ, they call me, I get on assignment, faithfully praying for this kid for months. We see him get better and then tragically... This family is heartbroken. A community's heartbroken. Jesus, this is like so wrong. Where are you? And, and I remember the, the, the service, funeral. I didn't want to go, but the funeral was on a Sunday. And uh, that Saturday night, we had Saturday night church, church service. I sat in the back corner. When, when, when they would stand up, I would sit down. When this preacher was preaching, the only reason I was there is because I was paid to be there. I was on staff. I sat in the back corner and I said, Lord, I don't trust you. Lord, I don't trust you. I don't trust that you do what you say you would do. I don't trust it. This is real sick of you to put me in this place and to see this young man like I'm letting the Lord have it. I know something's off, but I just got to be honest with God. And so I, I went to sleep that night 
And uh, I had a dream, and I don't remember the dream till the next morning I'm driving to the funeral. And as I'm driving to the funeral, I remember this beautiful dream. And this dream has been so helpful for me in processing sorrow and setback. In the dream, I was playing golf, and I'm a huge golfer. I love to play golf. And in the dream, I'm playing the Dallas National. Dallas National is like the best golf course maybe in our state. It's immaculate. It's awesome. You get caddies and... It's very, very elite to get invited to play at the Dallas National, which I've only played a couple of times. In the Dallas National, I get to hole 18. I'm walking off, and I remember thinking I played a very good round at the Dallas National. As I'm walking off, Willie has long hair. Most of the time that I knew him, he had no hair. In the dream, Willie drives up on a cart. He gets out. He's hearty. He gives me a hug, and he said, Michael, that was an amazing round at the Dallas National. And I said, I know. He said, look up there, and we look up, and above the grounds of the Dallas National, there's a pro shop, and I can see clouds hitting the pro shop. He says, the head pro wants to talk to you, and so I run up to the pro shop, and I love pro shops as well. Pro shops are like amazing golf pro shops, shirts and clubs, and I can spend hours in a golf pro shop. So I walk into this pro shop, and there's shirts and clubs, and it's awesome pro shop, and behind is the head pro. And I'm looking at the head pro, and, and he's got these deep blue eyes. There's this, like, glory circle around him, and he's smiling at me. And he says, Michael, you played a great round at the Dallas National. And I said, thank you. He said, but it's not a typical round. And he said, I, I want to give you two options. Option number one is you can pick a shirt from that uh, line of shirts to remember this round at the Dallas National. Or I'll give you a second option. And he hands me this ticket and he says you can play again and I knew in my dream I wanted to play again and I grab the thing and I'm, I'm walking out and I wake up and as I'm driving to Willie's funeral I immediately get the revelation of the dream the dre- revelation was this the Dallas National to me is heaven on earth it's heaven on earth my kingdom come I will be done on earth as it is in heaven that's heaven on earth for me um, playing around I think it represents what I went through with Willie And going up to the head pro, who is Jesus, who oversees heaven on earth, he's looking at me and he says, listen, things, you played well, but this isn't typical. And and I'm going to give you two options here. You can take this shirt and wear it, that this is just what happens when 19-year-olds get cancer, or you can contend again. You can go for it again. And... And in my dream, I was so zealous to play again. And here was the point is, man, mysteries in the kingdom aren't to be solved, they're to be embraced. And if you won't let your heart get stuck in this one moment in time and you'll surrender to it and let the resurrected reality touch your heart in this place, you can find the place of faith and contend again. And since that time, I've prayed for a number of people. Since 2006, I can count... I can count a number of people that have been healed from cancer. I don't know why Willie wasn't healed of cancer. But my my posture in this hour isn't to get stuck in the why. It's to keep asking the Lord questions and allow Him to steward my heart, to grow my heart, to deal with the sorrow of that season so that it can be positioned to rejoice and that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened to the hope that I've been called to. And so I felt this morning as I was praying... As I was praying for Legacy Nashville, I felt like the Lord was saying, will you play again? 
Will you play again? Will you re-ante? Will you sign up? I know you're in church today, but are you asleep? Or are you awake? Is your inner world alive? Is there faith in your heart? Is there expectation? And if there's not, if there's an area of your life, there's a day of trouble that affected you, can I just pray for you? I know I'm going over a little bit, but would you just stand to your feet if that's you and just put your hand on your heart? If that's you, would you just stand to your feet, put your hand on your heart? I want to pray. Holy Spirit, where we've chosen to wear a shirt, where we've chosen to remember an experience, Lord, that has kind of defined you in a way. Lord, today, I just ask you to take those garments off. And Lord, that we could play again in the name of Jesus. Lord, that you would deal with uh, setbacks, sorrows that we found in our hearts and that we could be set free today. Five years for this church. Lord, that this would be a place where where dreams are born again, where hearts come alive again. Lord, we fight the good fight of faith. And so I pray faith would arise in the hearts of your people that they could see the resurrected one in the midst of that trouble, whatever that would be. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We honor you. Holy Spirit, light into darkness. Shine the knowledge of your glory in the face of your Son. Visit these hearts, Lord, in those moments and days, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.